The scripture reading today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25-32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the reading of God's word. Please be Hello everyone, I hope everyone is uh, doing well. I hope you, you know, enjoyed your Independence Day weekend and God, excited to see all of you. Uh, let me uh, start with a word of prayer as we go into the word, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. We thank you for the privilege we have as your people to come together and just to be able to worship you, to fellowship together, to be in your scriptures, to know more about your word and to be strengthened, to be comforted, to be convicted uh, by your word. And we just pray today that as we delve into your word, that you'll remind us of, again of who you are, who we are, and that we would just be amazed by your grace and we will be challenged and convicted to live lives worthy of our calling in you. We thank you and we praise you. And in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So today we're in... Um, the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter four, and I think, you know, I think uh, Pastor Francis has been talking a lot about different aspects of community, and so I wanted to kind of continue in that thought, and we're in Ephesians four, and, you know, this, this passage really is going to talk about how, how we can be a community in action, and, you know, when you think about communities, when you think about friendships, when you think about people coming together, there's different things that often bring us together. You know, it could be something as simple as living in the same zip code, right, or the same area code. You know, if you move to another area and you meet somebody else, right, with the 201 area code, right, if you're in California, for example, you, you know, you might feel a certain sense of kinship, right, it might bring you together. It might be your ethnicity, right, it might bring people together. It could be, you know, maybe the same school, maybe the same high school, same college, same grad school. You know, you meet somebody from the same school, even if they graduated 10 years before you, 20 years after you, you just feel, Certain kinship, right? If you root for the same team, right? If you're, you know, like a Giants fan or a Yankees fan or a Mets fan or a Knicks fan or, you know, you just, you know, and especially if they win, right? If you win together, you know, you, I, I've seen people, you know, during, you know, um, playoff season, right? Hugging people they don't even know, cheering with people they don't even know, right? Maybe even weeping with people they don't even know, right? Because they're cheering for the same team. And so all these different things bring us together, but obviously, as Christians, Right, as the people of God, what is it that brings us together? What is it that unites you and me, right, and all the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? And ultimately, 
we know it's, it's Christ, right? Yeah, it's good that we have the same hobbies. Yeah, it's good maybe we root for the same teams. Yeah, it's good maybe we like the same food or we're from the same place. We went to the same school. But ultimately, what is the thing that truly brings us together? It is, it is Christ. It's the blood of Christ. It's what Christ has done for us, for his people. And so any community of Christians, I think we have to start with that. We have to know who we are in Christ. And in this passage, in this passage in Ephesians, Paul, he's talking to Christians, and he starts by saying, therefore. And obviously when you hear, when you see the word therefore in the scripture, it means Think about what I just said to you, right? And as you think about that, therefore, usually it's an application. Do this or live this way or be like this. And right before this passage started, he talks about putting off the old self, putting on the new self. And so really he's reminding his readers, he's reminding really all of us, obviously what brings us together is Christ and as people who are in Christ, who have you know, new lives because of Christ, we want to put off the old self, the old sinful ways, and we want to put on the new self, or created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's saying, don't live like the way you used to live. Live the way you truly are now in Christ. And so now, what does that look like? And I want to talk about that in the context of community. What does it look like for me, for you, to live in community and to love each other in community. And there's three things I wanna, just kind of three points really I wanna make today. And really it's like five points, but I kind of made some of these points combined to make make it into three. But um, first, we wanna be a community marked by loving honesty and reconciliation. Second, we wanna be a community that builds up and encourages the body of Christ. And lastly, we want to be a community that shows love through kindness and forgiveness. Right? So we want to be a community, first of all, that has honesty and reconciliation. Secondly, we want to be a community that is building each other up as opposed to tearing each other down, right? And thirdly, we want to be a community that loves each other through kindness and reconciliation. And so the first thing is obviously loving each other through honesty, through reconciliation. If you look at verse 25, this is what Paul says. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, it's kind of an obvious statement, right? He's saying, hey, as Christians, living in community, don't lie. Put away falsehood and speak truth with your neighbor. That seems very obvious, right? I think anyone knows Obviously, you don't even have to be a Christian, right? I think generally when you grow up, you're told don't lie, be honest, be truthful. Although the reasons we often hear to not lie is it's not worth it, it's not even going to work out for you, you know, be a good person. We have all these different reasons. The reason Paul gives, he says, put away falsehood, right? Don't be deceptive, don't lie, speak truth. Why? Because we are members one of another. So the reason he's giving is we're one body. And that's why you want to be honest. You want to speak truth. Now think about this for a second. One body, right? If my eye sees something that's very hot, right? Maybe it's boiling water, right? And it's hot. And if my eye sees it, but it lies to my hand, 
and says, it's not hot. And my hand touches the hot thing, what happens to my hand? It burns. And obviously, I'll be in a lot of pain. Now, that makes no sense to you, right? Why would you see something and see that it's hot, and why would you put your hand there anyway? You wouldn't do that. That makes no sense. And that's kind of what Paul is saying. You're one body, so when you communicate with each other, why would you lie? Why would you speak falsely? Why would you deceive yourself? You want to be in honest communication. I'll give you another example. You know, when you think about your body, if you don't have blood circulating everywhere to the right places, that part of your body is going to get messed up. So, for example, you know, one, one I guess, more lighthearted is, you know, I don't know if you've ever taken a nap and you lean on, like, your arm, right? I remember when I was in college, every time I went into the library, I would start with a nap, right? I, don't know, I went into study, but I would always start with, like, a little 10, 20-minute nap. And for my reasoning was I was always tired the second I sat down, so... I needed a little 10 minutes just to recover, just to get started. But you know, I would never set my alarm because I knew when I leave my, on my arm like this, after about 10 minutes, my arm, it gets weird, right? You can't move. And so I would wake up and my arm would just kind of be like dead feeling. And that's what, what's happening? The blood circulation is cut off, so I can't move. Now you take that seriously, and it's like a stroke, right? Where you lose blood you know, and, and, and communication to part of your body and you can't move that part of your body. And the idea is this, in your body, you need to communicate with each other. You need the blood flowing everywhere. You need to be one body in honest communication. Now, the body of Christ. Paul is saying, if you want to be a healthy body, you can't be lying, you can't be deceptive, you can't be, you know, dishonest with one another. You need to be honest. You need to speak truth. Now, that seems obvious, but I want to go a little deeper with this. I think in many ways, or one important way, one way we do this is when we share honestly with each other. Now, not honestly in a mean way, right? I think sometimes we take this honesty thing and we kind of go, oh, I want to be honest. So we see somebody and we go, your hair looks bad today, right? I don't like your shirt. Right, like, just we're mean, right? Or, you know, when you sing during praise, can you stop singing? Because I think you're off tune, and I can't sing my, so- my song to God, right, kind of thing. And so sometimes we're just mean. And that's not what he's saying. You want to be honest in a loving way, verse 15, speak the truth in love. But I think it means for us as a community, sometimes we need to be able to share how we're doing and also how we can speak truth into your life. So what I mean by that is, you know, maybe you're in a small group, you're in a community group, and people ask you, how are you doing? You know, what are you, what, what's going on with you? What are your prayer requests? And what's the typical thing? Oh, I'm doing fine. Just pray for, I don't know, my family. Oh, you know, pray that I would love Jesus more, right? Oh, that will be in the word more. We just kind of move on, right? We don't like to share honestly about anything. And I might be having 10 million things going on in my life. I might be stressed out to the max. There might be things in my life that are really rough, my family and my community. But I don't want to share. I don't want to disclose anything. I'm like a closed book. And to everybody else, I just say, I'm fine. Praise God. Same old, same old, right? And I think there's a calling here. Hey, as the people of God, as a body of Christ, obviously use the sermon and wisdom, however, I think there is a call for us to honestly share what is going on with us. If I'm struggling, if I really do have prayer requests, if I have things of praise that I want to share, share and honestly, you know, talk to each other. And then as people are sharing, don't just listen and go, hmm, right? Like, 
share back, right? Honestly respond, right? Maybe, you know, encourage, maybe even rebuke if that's what it's called for. But the point here being is we want to communicate in a loving, honest way. Why? Because we are members one of another. We are one body, and it is so important that we are honestly communicating and, you know, that there's this sense of unity even in the way we communicate. And, you know, as I say that, let's be reminded, where do we get the best example of this? It's Christ. We are told in the Word of God very honestly how sinful we are. We see the fall, or we see, you know, and the Bible is very clear, all have sinned, all have fallen short. The glory of God for the wages of sin is death. We see that, but we also see that God loves his people. God shows us his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for his people. And obviously, we know in the word of God that even though we are sinful, Christ died for his people, that when we put our faith in Christ, he continues to love us, he intercedes for us, he has a home in heaven prepared for us. And the point I'm making is we worship an honest God. We have a Savior who is lovingly honest with us. And we are called, as Christ is the head, we are the body, to be honest, to speak truth into each other's lives. Again, not in a mean way, right? Not in an unwise way. But using discernment, using wisdom with love, we want to speak the truth into each other's lives. But in that first point, one of the ways we see this honesty is in verse 26, it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So not only is that community marked by loving honesty, but there's a call when we get angry to not sin, but to deal with it and to reconcile. Now, I do want to say something here. It says be angry and do not sin. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, aren't you already sinning? when you're angry. And I would argue majority of the time, yes. I think most of our anger tends to be sinful anger. But I think, hopefully we know, the Bible does talk about righteous anger. I mean, God gets angry. And obviously, God does not sin. And so there is righteous anger and sinful anger. I don't want to go into too much, but I'll leave it at this. Righteous anger basically is when you see injustice, when you see things that grieve God, when you see wrongs being done to people, there should be anger. In us, but when we see something that's happening that's wrong, that's unjust, right, that is ungodly, as the people of God, things that make God angry should make me angry and should make me want to do something about it. And then there's sinful anger, which tends to be more selfish, right? You've wronged me, it's all about me, I want to do this, but you don't let me do it, that kind of thing, and then I get angry. And there's sinful anger, there's righteous anger, but no matter what kind of anger you have, even righteous anger can turn into sinful anger. And so what does Paul say? Be angry. But when you are angry, he says, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. What is he saying? He's saying, don't leave the anger alone. Now think about this for a second. Something happens. Okay, it could be righteous, it could be sinful. But point is, something happens and you get upset. You get angry. Now, if I don't do anything with the anger, if I let the anger fester, if I let the anger build, what happens? The anger will turn into resentment, 
and bitterness. Right? You ever get angry at someone, and then you say, oh, I'm going to let it go. I don't, I don't, right? And then you get angry again, that person, and you go, I'm going to let it go. Then you get angry again, and you go, oh, you know, I, I don't want to talk about it. It's just too much work. You know, I don't want to deal with it. And then after a while, I just don't like that person. I look at that person, I walk the other way. I look at that person, I don't want to have a conversation with that person. After a while, I just feel bitterness. Every time, after a while, you, I even hear that person's name, and I just feel a certain way. And after a while, I just give them the cold shoulder. After a while, just a lot of bitterness, a lot of hate starts growing in my heart. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying when you are angry with someone, you need to deal with it. You need to resolve it. You need to deal with it in your own heart, and you need to deal with it with the other person. That's why he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. I remember reading about, I think it was a pastor was sharing how him and his wife they took this a little too literally in the beginning of their marriage. So he said when they, in the beginning of their marriage, every time they would fight and the sun was going down, they were like, no, we got to deal with it now. We got to talk about it. And then I think that, that kind of turned into before we go to sleep, we have to deal with it. And sometimes he says it would be like really early, you know, really late at night, and they, both of them would be so tired, but they would feel so convicted, God's word, we can't let the sun go down in your anger. We got to, you know, instead of falling asleep, trying to resolve it. And obviously, that is not what Paul is saying. What he is saying is this. He's saying, don't, again, don't let the anger fester. Now, I know sometimes we get angry. So what we say is, oh, I can't deal with it right now. I got to cool down. I have to think. I have to, you know, and I think that's fine. If that's you, if you're the kind of person who gets really heated up and you just, you know, anything I say to you right now is going to come out like venom and I, I, I need to cool down, calm down, that's fine. However, sometimes that becomes an excuse. We say that and we just kind of let it be for a long time. And again, now I don't like you. Now I resent you. I feel the bitterness towards you. And so Paul is saying, when you get angry, be honest with yourself, or deal with your heart, you know, pray to God, obviously, but also resolve it with that other person. Talk it out. Talk it out honestly, where you were hurt, how you were hurt, maybe what, maybe you hurt them, and just figure it out so that you give no opportunity to the devil, right? Don't give the devil opportunity to come into your heart and into your relationship and to, you know, get this anger to fester into bitterness and resentment and just get all hating on each other, he's saying, deal with it. Deal with it lovingly. Deal with it honestly. Deal with it. And again, think about the motivation for this. When God has a problem with us, right, when there is a break in our relationship with God, what did God do? How does God resolve it? Think about it. God sent his own son, the father and the son, to die for us. God died on a cross. So when you think about my relationship with God and how it was broken and his wrath should be poured out upon me, what did he do? Christ actually took our place on the cross. He suffered what we should have suffered. He died the death that we Deserve in order for us to be reconciled to God. So there's a call here for us. When I'm angry 
with you, especially if it's another brother or sister in Christ. I'm called right, to die to myself, and I need to work with you to reconcile, to resolve on this relationship. And it's hard to do, but I think that's why the motivation has to go back always to the gospel. And so the first point here is obviously we want to be a community that's marked by loving honesty and reconciliation. But secondly, we want to be a community that builds up as opposed to tear down. That builds up as opposed to tear down. Now, if you look at verse 28, it says a thief should no longer steal, but he should, you know, do honest work. But here's the thing, and I don't want to go too into this part, that part of it, but the reason that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I shouldn't steal. I should work hard where I get an honest wage, but why? Not so I can get rich, not so I can buy whatever I want. He says, so that I can share with anyone in need. So what is the point of working hard? To share, to love, to build up by helping you in things maybe that you don't have, things that you need. I want to work, do honest work with my hands so I have something to share. So I'm not always asking for handouts, but I can share with you. But not only that, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So I want to bless you with my hands. I want to bless you with my money. I want to bless you with what I've earned, whatever you need, but also my words. My words, my loving, honest words should what? Build you up and give you grace. It should be an encouragement to you. It should be a blessing to you as opposed to, verse 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. What is Paul talking about? So often in the body of Christ, what do we do with our words? We tear down. But just like the thief steals, it's negative, right? So often our words are corrupting words. Right? Really, the word that here is talking about like rotten words, like rotten fruit, rotten fish, right? And so obviously we, we, we read that and we think corrupting words, we think honestly curse words or, you know, like, you know, right, like words that are like very, you know, certain kind of words that society says is bad. And I think those fit there. But corrupting talk is really anything that tears the other person down. Corrupting talk is anything that doesn't help you grow in Christ but brings you down, tears you down, and is a negative in your life. But think about the way we talk. Think, are, we, are we people that when we talk to our brothers and sisters, am I building you up? Am I giving you grace? Am I encouraging you? Am I helping you grow as a child of God? Or are my words, words that tear you down, that tempt you, said, right? Are my words words that are Christ-like or are they Christless? What are my words? You know, let me give you some examples sometimes of corrupting talk. I think of things that we might say, you know, uh, for example, could be what I would call exaggeration or trait names, right? Sometimes we'll say things like this, right? Maybe somebody says something to you and, you know, maybe they weren't totally honest, so we'll say, you're a liar. Now, when you say that, 
the other person automatically would get defensive because they'll say, well, I don't lie all the time, <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's the automatic thing that we say, right? Because nobody is truly a liar. They are a human being, a sinner that sometimes does lie. So it's a lot better if you really are hurt by someone's lie to say, you know what, I, I was hurt yesterday when you said these words to me that I don't think were honest. That's a much better way to approach things as opposed to saying, you're a liar. Or you turn that person into a monster, right? And it's not helpful, right? Or if you say something, you know, exaggerate, you say, I don't know, you're always late. And again, the other person not automatically defensive, right? I'm not always late. But we tend to say things like that, you know, using always, you're never kind, right? You're a liar, I hate you, right? Like, we say these different things, and what do they do? Daggers in our hearts, right? They tear down. Or we gossip, we slander, right? We talk about other people, you know, and, and we enjoy it. And so what are we doing? We're tearing down with our words directly, with our words indirectly. We're tearing down the body of Christ. And what is Paul saying? He's saying, don't do it. He's saying, just like with your hands, you want to make money and bless people with your word. You don't want to say things that are tearing people down and bringing them away from Christ and away from the body and hurting people. No, you want to speak in a way, as he says, that is good for building up. Always ask yourself, what can I say to you that builds you up? And I don't mean when I say that just to always be nice. I think sometimes we need to rebuke. I think sometimes we do need to call each other out. We do need to hold people accountable, of course. But am I asking myself, how can I build you up as fits the occasion? Am I thinking, what are you going through right now? How do I speak the right words into the situation that you're in right now so that, as the verse says, I may give you grace, that I may remind you of Christ. I may give you the gospel. And I'm reminded, I remember when I was in seminary, we had a brother who was from Nigeria, and he was a pastor, actually. And I think he had, he had five kids. I think he was like in his, maybe around 40 or so, and he, he left his wife and his five kids because he was a pastor of a big church, but a lot of the pastors in Nigeria, they asked him to go to the States to study more so you could come back and really help us. And so he sacrificed a lot, sacrificed his church, his family, to come to the stage to really study so he could go back and to be an even bigger, bigger blessing. You know, he felt convicted. And I remember, you know, he lived in the dorm where I lived, and he just was just a man of God. Every time I saw him, I could just see just his joy for Christ. You know, he would just be so loving. And every time I saw him, he's like, hi, brother, how you doing, right? And, you know, just encourage me. We would be in prayer meetings and he was this guy, and actually, to be honest, I had to repent because I didn't always like it. We would have maybe, you know, a bunch of us in a prayer meeting, and he would literally pray for every single one of us. And it was long prayers. And, you know, as a student, you want to go back to studying. So I just be like, oh, come on, man, stop praying, right? Except when you pray for me. The five minutes they prayed for me, oh, man, I just felt so blessed. Because he would, all the conversations we had, he would take that and just really, you know, pray into it. And I would be thinking, man. And then when he'd pray for somebody else, I was like, just a little shorter, right? But, but I remember thinking, he's a guy. Every time I saw him, I could, I, knew, I could see it in his eyes. He wanted to build me up. 
He wanted to bless me. Not just me, everybody around me, right? He wanted to speak grace into each other's, into everyone's life. And really, what am I trying to say? As the body of Christ, that's the attitude we should have. How can I bless you, brother? How can I bless you, sister? How can I speak grace into your life? So we want to be a community, obviously, that is honest, that is reconciling. We want to be a community that is building each other up. But lastly, we want to be a community that is kind and forgiving of one another. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Beautiful verse. When I look at that verse, I'm reminded of our Savior, who is tenderhearted, who is compassionate, and who is kind. You know, when you look at the New Testament, you, you know, you see Jesus, it says a lot that, that his heart went out, that he felt compassion. Right? When he sees people that are hungry, right, he feels compassion, and he feeds them. When he sees people without a shepherd, his heart goes out to them. So he's teaching them. When he sees a widow, right, who lost her only son, what happens? Again, his heart goes out to her with compassion, and then what does he do? He does an act of kindness. He brings her son back to life. And so we see this theme in the New Testament, but also when we look at the cross, what do we see? Compassion and kindness. Christ has compassion on sinners like us who deserve nothing but misery and wrath. And instead, because of his compassion and love towards us as people, what do we see again? Act of kindness. He goes to the cross to die for us. And so what am I called to do? What are you called to do? What are we all called to do, again, as the people of God? When I'm in my community of Christian brothers and sisters, my heart should go out to those around me. Anyone who is struggling, anyone who is crying, whether it's physical help, emotional help, spiritual help, relational help, whatever you're dealing with, right? I should, my heart, when I hear it, it shouldn't just be like, oh, okay, you know, or maybe like an empty word, right? Oh, I'll pray for you, right? Like kind of without really meaning it. No, my heart should break. My heart should go out to whoever is struggling with whatever they're struggling with, whatever they're going through, and then... I want to be Christ-like in that. I want to follow up that compassion with kindness. And it might be a kind word. It might be a prayer. It might be an actual action, right? A way to bless you in some way. And again, the situation will always be different. But the point is, in community, I want to be Christ-like. How? With a heart of compassion that goes out to you, but also with acts and with words of kindness, that show, that show you that I love you as Christ has loved you. But not only kindness and compassion, the verse says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, I'm going to keep that short. I know I preached about forgiveness, I think the last time I preached a couple weeks ago at length, but forgiveness is hard. To be honest, sometimes kindness could be a little easier if I like you, if you're good to me. But if I don't like you, if you've hurt me, 
if you annoy me, right? If, you know, there's something about you that bothers me, especially if you've done something that hurt me badly. I don't want to be kind to you. I don't want to love you. I don't want to forgive you. And what do we always say? I would forgive you if you deserved it. Right? I will forgive him. I will forgive her if they deserve it. And I could forgive anybody else, but not him, not her. Why? Because what they did was so bad. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Now, we may say it or we may not say it. We may think it. But here's what I'm trying, saying here. If you think about it, the reason I forgive somebody is not because they deserve it, especially a brother or sister in Christ. The reason I forgive you is because I have been forgiven. Because I don't deserve forgiveness. But what do I deserve? If you talk about, you know, talk about justice, what do I deserve? I deserve hell. I deserve condemnation. I deserve eternal damnation. There's nothing that I deserve that is good. But what do we see, again, in the gospel? A sinner like me who deserves nothing. What did God do for me? What did Jesus, what did, what did my Savior do for me? He literally paid my debts. He took my place on the cross so that I could be forgiven and I could be saved. And when that forgiveness becomes real in my heart, that actually changes my heart so that when I look at that brother and sister that has hurt me, and I say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I look at Jesus and I say, actually, I want to forgive you. I want to love you. Not because you deserve it, but because of what Christ has done for both of us. Because you're my brother and because you're my sister in Christ. And that's hard. It's very hard. But it's something that we can do, that we need to do, if I have been forgiven. And forgiveness starts with the decision. I always tell people, it's not a, forgiveness, you know, we want forgiveness to be a feeling, and then we want to forgive. If you wait for that feeling, you'll never forgive, right? It's not going to happen. It's a decision that I choose. I'm going to forgive you. And that may take time for the feeling to catch up. But as I apply the gospel into my life, I am saying, as I have been forgiven, I want to forgive you. And so my encouragement this afternoon as I think about this passage, right? We are a community, right, bought with the blood of Christ. And as that community, as the body of Christ, let us be a community that loves each other with honesty, reconciliation. Let us be a community that loves each other by building each other up. And let us be a community that loves each other by showing kindness and compassion to one another and forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you are good. We thank you for you are so gracious and so forgiving of us. Father, we pray today, as we look to the cross, as we see how deeply loved we are, we pray that in our community, we will love each other as Christ has loved us. We thank you, we praise you, and in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.
Starizer, I'm sorry, <laughs> um, as we reflect on the mercies and graces of God and His forgiveness, and we can worship together and respond. <laughs> 